Hello, and welcome to episode 17 of the Bible Q&A with Pastor Stephen. My name is Stephen Pace, and I'm the senior pastor at Decatur Bible Church in Decatur, Michigan. This podcast attempts to answer Bible questions in a clear but thorough manner. If you would like to have a Bible-related question considered for a future episode, you can email me at pastorstephendbc at gmail.com. Again, that's pastor, S-T-E-V-E-N-D-B-C at gmail.com. In this episode, we will once again be looking at three questions, so go ahead and grab your Bibles and let's get started. The first question for this episode is, Pastor, I just finished reading Malachi and am beginning Matthew. What is meant by the 400 years of silence? It is mentioned in both of my study Bibles a few times but not sure exactly what it means. Thanks. The first place to start in getting an answer to this question is, if you notice in the question itself, it's referring to the book of Malachi and the book of, or the gospel of Matthew. So the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. It's the last of the minor prophets and was written after the Jews had returned from exile, uh, and it describes a variety of things. They are settled, if you will, again, after having gone into exile. And it was probably written somewhere between 400 and 450 BC. So again, you have the last book of Malachi written with the Jews having returned from exile. Uh, They have established themselves once again in the land. And the prophet Malachi is writing somewhere in the proximity of 400 to 450 B.C. Now, if you were to finish reading Malachi, as the question said, and you went to the next book of the Bible, you would turn to what we call the New Testament and would have the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew starts off with of course, a genealogy, but essentially for this question's purpose, it starts just prior to the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. So what you have is the Old Testament concluding, having been written in the 400 to 450 BC period of time before Christ, and then resuming later on in the Gospel of Matthew, which is just prior to to the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. So the 400 years of silence is another way of saying that the Lord did not provide any revelation in terms of, in other words, no books of the Bible, no prophetic uh, divine revelation that we recorded. So no books of the Bible during the time period where the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins. Confusion sometimes comes up is with the word silence. Nothing wrong with it, but need to understand what silence means and what it doesn't mean. Again, silence would mean, when it's used that way, to indicate that God did not provide for us any books of the Bible is a very simple way to think of it. Charles Ryrie, in his study Bible, 
has a section between Malachi and Matthew, and he entitles it Between the Testaments. This period of time is sometimes called the intertestamental period. And in Ryrie's study Bible, at the beginning of his section, in between, again, Malachi and Matthew, he makes this statement, which is really helpful. Ryrie says, quote, The term silent years, frequently employed to describe the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament writings, is a misnomer. Although no inspired prophet arose in Israel during these centuries, and the Old Testament was regarded as complete, events took place that gave to later Judaism its distinctive ideology and providentially prepared the way for the coming of Christ and the proclamation of the gospel, end quote. So there you see in Ryrie's study Bible, he makes the uh, very well-articulated statement there that it's the silent years is speaking of no writings. So we have no writings. But on the other hand, this does not mean that God was, if you will, inactive. He just did not provide any books, any writings, ever which way you want to say it. However, as Ryrie states very well, the Lord was preparing the way and putting in place many of the things that by the time Christ came uh, were in fact very beneficial. So, for example, you have the Romans who would eventually come into power. Uh, you'd have the Roman road system, the Pax Romana, which actually ended up helping uh, the furtherance of the gospel and those sorts of things. And so the 400 years of silence is not suggesting that the Lord was inactive but rather there was no biblical text or biblical books, if you will, provided. But as Ryrie says, God was obviously at work putting all the pieces in place um, to help with the first coming of Christ, as well as what would happen in, for instance, the book of Acts with the spreading of the good news of Jesus and such. Now, if you are interested in the intertestamental period, I would recommend to you two sources, one of which I've already mentioned, but the Ryrie Study Bible uh, is very helpful in this area. It has a section of articles called Between the Testaments. It goes over the political developments. In other words, how do we get to uh, the Romans being in power? It also describes the various religious groups and kind of gives an overview historically of how you get from for example, Alexander the Great, how he conquered the Persians, all the way up to, for instance, the Herods and how they helped with the temple uh, construction there and such. So you might find that helpful. You can also check out a book by Charles, and I will spell the name, P-F-E-I-F-F-E-R. He has a book that's entitled From Malachi to Matthew, and it's put out by the Moody Bible Institute or Moody Bible Publishers, and uh, is a very good book on the intertestamental period. So either one of those or both would be helpful. So hopefully that clears up the 400 years of silence. Silence being the key word. Silence meaning no biblical revelation, no books of the Bible, 
God was still active during that, if you will, 400-year period, preparing the way for the coming of Christ. Now, our next question is going to be the trivia question for this episode. The trivia question is, did the ark Noah made have any windows? Again, did the ark Noah made have any windows? Now, in order to locate the answer to this question, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 6. Now, Genesis chapter 6 is probably a familiar section. It speaks of, for example, some of the causes of the flood, why the flood came, uh, as well as describing in detail what occurred in preparation of the flood, meaning Noah preparing the ark, as well as what actually happened during the, the period of time when the flood came. But in Genesis chapter 6, again, you have the causes of the flood in Genesis 6, 1 through 13. But then let's pick up here because after the Lord tells Noah the why, in other words, what was the cause of him needing to bring the flood, in verse 14, it says, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you will make it the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Here's the answer to the question, though. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. So the answer to the question is in verse 16. So the question again was, did Noah make with the ark any windows? And of course the answer would be yes. In verse 16, it says that he made a window. So this would be some type of opening uh, space probably to let in such things as air and light. And you see the dimensions of it as well, the cubic dimensions of the height. Uh, as well as those sorts of dimensions there with the ark. So the answer to the trivia question for this episode is, yes, Noah did make on the ark a window as described in Genesis chapter 6, verse 16. And now for our third and final question. Pastor, I have a tendency to hold grudges against people. Does the Bible give any instruction on this? What about if I'm wronged? Is it okay? Thanks. The short answer is that Christians should not hold grudges against anyone. But of course, the question would be, but why? What does the Bible have to say? In other words, it would be one thing to answer the question and say, no, we shouldn't. But how do we handle, if you will, grudges or different types of things that happen in relationships? Um, should we hold things against people? Uh, so this is a good topic. It's not just simply grudges, but what about when you are wronged, if you noticed in the question? And so this would also deal with not just that, but also the idea of forgiveness and such. So the best place to start, I think, is in James chapter 5, verse 9, because we want to have 
answers from the scripture rather than just simply what does Pastor Stephen think. And so this is a good example of looking to the scripture to try to help us. In the book of James, chapter 5, you'll see in verse 9, it says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Now the word there for grudge that uh, we talked about or complain is a Greek word. And the Greek word is S-T-E-N-O. If you're curious, I would like to study the word any. You can find it. The Greek number is 4727. But basically it's the idea in the Greek to moan, to sigh, uh, or to groan or complain, uh, to cause grief and so forth, those sorts of words. And so we aren't supposed to be that way, not simply towards just believers, but by anyone. We aren't to complain, hold grudges. You'll notice when I read it, it says, do not do that against one another. And so clearly this is something that would be a negative that we act out on. Now, one of the things that I think is helpful here is that we aren't supposed to do that. One thing to remember with when you are wronged is that we are supposed to have attitudes of forgiveness. One of the things that should distinguish a believer from an unbeliever is very simply forgiveness. So James, along with Paul, have the same idea. So for example, if you were to turn to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, there Paul writes, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. And so you can see there that we are supposed to bear with one another, supposed to forgive each other, but you'll also see that whenever there's a complaint, we also should have an attitude of forgiveness. But you'll see the justification or the basis of this is what the Lord has done for us. Just as Jesus has forgiven us all of our many, many sins, we are to do the same thing. Perhaps said another way, we need to be Christ-like in this area where we forgive when at times it might be hard or when it might be difficult. We need to have the Christ-like attitude of forgiveness. So Paul wants us to bear with, uh, with one another. So that would be putting up with others when perhaps they have wronged us uh, in whatever manner that may be. It gives the idea of endurance, if you will, enduring some difficult times. It also, of course, you see it's forgiveness. And that's where the key is to the question that was asked, which is forgiveness biblically is not holding a grudge or a grievance, if you will. But you have to learn to let things go, and you have to learn to let them go quickly or immediately. The idea of forgiveness for a Christian is not, I forgive you, and then in reality, you still keep that in your mind. And if you will, hold it against someone, or perhaps bring back up the thing that was wronged. So there we see, so far, the answer to the question is, does the Bible give instructions on 
holding grudges, and how do we do this if we're wronged? Of course, so far we see James 5.9. We also see Colossians 3.13. But two other things to consider as well with this is if we are wronged, we should go to the person privately. This is what we find, for instance, in Matthew 18.15, where we are to go to the individual and make them aware of what has happened. One thing I have learned as a pastor is that not all the time, but oftentimes someone will have, as the question said, wronged, hurt them, done just something. And what happens is instead of going to the person and explaining to them what they have done, uh, we oftentimes don't do that. And unfortunately, what happens with that is sometimes the person is unaware of it. Sometimes they don't even realize that they have done anything. So with the example, for instance, in Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. The point there is, is that the person may not be aware of it, but of course they may as well. And hopefully it can be reconciled. Uh, the unfortunate thing again there is the key word is private because otherwise it could turn itself into gossip, a scandal, those sorts of things. And so we're not supposed to hold grudges. Uh, one way to keep from doing that is the Colossians 3.13, uh, remembering what Christ has done for us, having a Christ-like forgiving attitude. We also need to go to the person privately last thing, though, that we can look at with this particular topic is in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Pretty self-explanatory there. You'll notice Paul says, if it's possible. And the dependence meaning upon you. So in other words, Paul is saying, look, if it's possible, you need to do your part and to try to be at peace with people. But of course, we know sometimes that's not possible, whether it be a believer or unbeliever, but we need to do our part. And how do we do our part? Well, we go and ask and speak to the person privately. We need to go with the attitude of forgiveness, a Christ-like attitude, Colossians 3.13, with the reminder that we aren't supposed to be having grudges against anyone. We have to learn to let things go, and then, of course, try to do as best we can to live with, at peace with all men, knowing that, obviously, that may not always happen. Uh, hopefully it will, but if not, you could at least, as Paul says there in Romans, know that you have endeavored to try to reconcile the issue there. Romans chapter 14, verse 19 says, So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And so as we conclude with that question, if you have a tendency to have grudges and don't know how to deal with being wronged or hurt by people, the Bible is the place to turn to. And that's the key thing, too. We don't need to look to the philosophies of man or their strategies. What we do is we turn to God's Word, and God's Word tells us to try to live at peace with people. And we do that as best we can by going to them, 
and then having an attitude of forgiveness, meaning if the person is willing to admit that they are wrong, that you would forgive them, but then not continuously hold that against them. So hopefully that'll give us some instruction from the scripture on how to handle those difficult situations. Well, that concludes today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode, and we look forward to spending time with you again in our next episode. Until then, God bless.